Good evening and welcome to another episode of Unstoppable Overcomers and I'm your host Dorothy Odell for this evening. I just really would love to give a shout out to our sponsor of tonight's show, Be Oily with Bonnie. For all your doTERRA oil needs, definitely contact uh, Bonnie today at 810-414-0929 or go to her website www.beoilywithbonnie.com. I have the distinct pleasure of bringing to the stage Whitley Ethan. Welcome to the show, Whitley. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so happy to be here. Absolutely. We're happy to have you here. And uh, for those of you um, that are just tuning in now, I did put a little bit of a trigger warning. It is uh, about domestic violence and um, sexual assault. So if that is a trigger for you, we just want to, you know, make sure that you're aware of that. Uh, but Whitley, we're so excited to have you here tonight. Um, please share with us a little bit about yourself, uh, who you are, and definitely what it is um, that has brought you here tonight. Yes, absolutely. So um, as I was telling Dorothy earlier, I kind of have a sickness, so hopefully my voice uh, holds on until after the show. Um, but I am a certified life coach. Um, which I basically focus on helping people, my clients, uh, um, cultivate healthy relationships and life and in love. I'm also a speaker. I'm also um, a podcast host of Lucia's Purpose Podcast. I'm a victim advocate. And just this month, um, I was part of a contributing author to Grace for Prosperity. It's a workbook that is actually going to be able to be used by organizations and victim advocates and anybody who wants to better help victims and survivors have an understanding of domestic violence, sexual violence, and trafficking. So I'm very excited to be part of that publication. Um, but, you know, in this situation of what we're going to be talking about, um, I was dealing with this not just on a victim advocacy level, but also on a very personal level um, as I was the one that was sexually assaulted. I was raped and I was having to not just fight for my rights and my need for justice. But I knew that anything that I did was going to be setting a precedent for other victims and survivors to get justice moving forward. And I don't know if I should if you want to be asking more questions or if you want me to go straight into it. Sure. Yeah, no, I, I love that you, you were an advocate before anything even, you know, transpired and, and sorry that that happened to you. Um, but I really am, um, you know, I, I heard a little bit of Whitney's story and it enraged me to the point where like, no, we got to have her on here. Uh, so, you know, and when I say, I hope it does you too, only for the simple fact that from now like if you ever hear of anybody going through what Whitley has gone through, that you, you know, have some compassion for, for somebody and to do all you can to help. Because I mean, it's, it's chilling, um, uh, Whitley story. So yeah. Uh, so Whitley, tell us, tell us if you, if you want to, you know, go into, um, go into your story on what happened. Um, and then, you know, we'll go from there. Yeah, absolutely. This is going to give people, I think, a lot of information as to and just a, a view into what victims and survivors go through. And that I think a lot of times isn't discussed and isn't something that a lot of people, you know, are aware of. Um, and, you know, as a victim advocacy, a victim advocate, I work on, you know, my platform is awareness, prevention, education. And so this is going to be doing that. Um, 
What a lot of people don't understand is that ever since the Me Too movement first emerged in 2017, after the dust settled, all these abusers started coming forward and suing their victims. And what has become known as she said, he sued. So now we no longer have to just worry about he said, she said. We now have to worry about she said, he sued. And it hasn't just been happening nationally. It's been happening internationally. I wasn't aware of it until it happened to me. I did not know that you could be sued for turning in a criminal for their crimes. I didn't realize that the justice system, and again, it's not just nationally here in North America, it's happening internationally, was allowing perpetrators to use the system to abuse the system by further using it to re-victimize their victims. Mm -hmm. And the justice system doing nothing to step in. So January 2020, I met a guy on a dating site. How many people out there have tried dating, especially while we're in the midst of COVID? I met him and I was date raped, but I wasn't just date raped. I was held hostage over 10 hours, repeatedly raped. I was raped a total of three times. I tried to escape to safety three separate times and he stopped me. And after each time that he raped me, he forced me into the shower to wash away any evidence of his crimes, any evidence of his DNA. If I didn't wash away my body a certain way, um, he would either stand outside and wash me or he would jump in behind me and wash my body very roughly, which has made people believe that I'm not his first and I probably won't be his last for him to already have that premeditated mindset of to do that. I was in a lot of shock. I was dealing in survival mode. There was a lot of stuff that happened during the assaults where I was completely in survival mode. I immediately went to the hospital. I immediately had the rape kit, sexual assault kit done. It was collected. It was handed over to police that day. Um, I knew I wasn't in a good place to be coming forward at all. I was struggling. And now I'm having to go through about 30 days of antivirals to protect my health, which you would literally feel like you are sick with the flu. For those days, I'm taking AIDS, anti-AIDS medicine morning and night. I am nauseous. I'm sick. And we're not even talking about all the mental and emotional just from the aftermath of what happened. And this is why I think people, you need to understand. I keep hearing so much as a victim advocate, as a victim and survivor. Forget about it. Let it go. And the thing is, is this is why it's so not easy to let something like this, like you can't just walk away from it and act like it didn't happen right. as you can with other crimes because the scene of the crime is your own body. Yeah. You can't separate from that. And I don't think people really have taken the time to think about that. It's not like being in, involved in a car accident, and I've been involved in a car accident before, and you can decide whether or not you're going to get past the scene of the crime. And it might be difficult for you to get back into the car, wondering if you're going to be in another car accident. You, you can have PTSD from that. But can you imagine day in, day out, every second of every day, not being able to separate from your own body of what happened? And then there's just the whole thing that society does of the guilt, shame, and everything. So when I finally did come forward, you would think that people would take this seriously and, and handle this appropriately. Now, here's something that you need to know. He is 
uh, former bodybuilder, competitive bodybuilder, a foot taller than me, uh, about 100 pounds more than me. Um, he's also a licensed insurance broker. This is really important. This is one of the reasons I came forward. I came forward to make sure it didn't happen to anybody else. I mean, we're in the midst of COVID and it keeps being announced that there's more sexual assaults on the rise. Mm -hmm. I was going to take this to my grave. I didn't want to talk about it. I didn't want to discuss it. It was just so hard for me, especially being that I'm a victim advocate. But I come forward. And what ends up happening is I end up talking with his companies, which he mentions them in our initial civil suit. Um, what's interesting about these companies is they are nationwide. Now he is licensed in multiple states. As an insurance broker, he goes into people's homes and I'm thinking, oh my God, if I were them, I would wanna know who was coming into my home, who was around my families. I would wanna know if my, families, if my family was in jeopardy. So the executive leadership of these companies, NASB, which is North American Senior Benefits, and Integrity Marketing Group, LLC, they knew. In fact, he even states their names as to who all knew, and they protected him. Wow. And not only did they protect him, but they didn't protect their clients. No one ever knew what he did. And see, now the state boards, and he's licensed across multiple states nationwide. The state boards won't do anything because he hasn't been charged. And we're going to get to why he hasn't been charged yet. Well, my biggest concern was if he did this to me and he's using a dating site and he's he, if he's traveling, this, this sets that up for the perfect crime. Right. Traveling from state to state, being on a dating site, you could be whoever you want to be. It's easy to commit crimes from state to state. I mean, we've seen this in the news before where there's been perpetrators who have committed crimes and they got away with it because they couldn't find them. They didn't know who they were because they kept going from place to place. And so here we are, he's traveling. I'm concerned, as should everybody else be concerned, and they're not. So I go to the police in 2021. At this point, the police have already had my kit in their custody for over a year. Um, the police did not follow the law. And in North Carolina, the law by the Survivor Act is police are only allowed to have the sexual assault kit in their custody for 45 days. The Cornelius police exceeded that by 65 days. Which goes wow. against Josh Stein, Attorney General Josh Stein's law. Not only that, but they didn't have me turn it over. They waited months to send it to me to sign over where I have to sign over the rights for them to have it of custody. It's a chain of custody. And they don't bring him in. They go and talk to him. He says he's going to lawyer up. They don't even bring him in for questioning, guys. Now, I'm now being sued by him. See, all because of a lie that his companies told, which was that, I, you know, whatever, they made up some lies. I have proof of these lies. I did my homework. And so, <laughs> Kate, you realize you have to be your own advocate. Um, that's one of the most important things I learned. And for any of you going through this, you have to be your own advocate. No one else is going to do it for you. Right. So I get sued. I just have a question before, before this even happened to you, you were an advocate for domestic violence. So now that this has happened to you, like, and you had even said that, you know, 
you were going to take this to your grave at one point, you know, not even do anything about that. So by being an advocate, like what, now you know what these women go through or men, because men have been raped too, um, you know, but like, what was your thought process when you said, no, I'm going to take this to my grave, even though that you help women with that? I think it was the shame of what I be believed. And it was the shame of how, how do you as a victim advocate become this person who, who needs advocated for? Right. It was this humiliation and to acknowledge what happened. I wasn't in a place where I could acknowledge it. I was struggling very much with depression, anxiety, uh, suicide ideation, you know, May happens to be Mental Health Awareness Month. And um, I didn't want to live. And so I was literally in survival mode. I had to act just for survival, like it didn't happen. But again, as as an advocate, as a woman, when it kept being announced that sexual assault was on the rise, because now we're, we're in the midst of COVID, I thought, oh, dear God, he's around so many people, even employees, even the people he works with. And they go to places like Mexico and in Florida and they're they're going and doing all these company events and everyone's drinking and everyone's in bathing suits. And I'm thinking it's going to happen again. And the last thing I want is for anybody to go through what I just went through. So I turn them in. I get sued. Uh, I'm now forced to file bankruptcy. Guys, I never had any reason to file bankruptcy. My finances were fine. I'm forced to file bankruptcy. I filed bankruptcy in 2021. I won my case in December 2021. He has three appeals. Now, you would think in an initial lawsuit that basically says, I know she's a victim advocate. I want to make sure that the judge makes an example out of her so that other women can't come forward and cry rape, that that somehow would be red alert to anybody reading this thinking, we can't let him sue her. We need to first hear from her and find out if there's any truth or validity to, I mean, he's basically saying she's claiming he raped her. Let's talk to her. No, that's not what happened. He files his first appeal in January of 2022. We go through that for 13 months. This whole, total thing was 22 months. I filed bankruptcy. I'm now in debt. I'm now borrowing money from people because I don't have it. Mm -hmm. I'm deemed no assets in bankruptcy, which is very unheard of. You have no assets. That just tells you mm -hmm. <laughs> what I have, what I'm working with. Um, and again, it's just injustice after injustice. And the police still aren't doing anything. And so it came to August and I'm being told you have to mediate with your rapist. Insane. Mm -hmm. They want me to uh, negotiate with my rapist. Like unbelievable. And I said to my attorney, no, contact the courts and tell them who they're making negotiate. Like this is no. And she said, it wouldn't matter. It's not going to change anything. Well, that was a lie. Because later on, when I contacted the courts myself, see, I was told I can't contact the courts. After everything has to go through her. They said if the her my attorney had notified the courts of that, the judge would have completely removed it. We never would have been forced to mediate. So here I am in mediation with his two attorneys, 
the mediator, the, I find out the mediator is good friends of one of his attorneys. Guys, it's a conflict of interest and that's malpractice. You're not allowed to do that. And I had pre-asked. I said, how do we know this mediator? And my attorney said, everybody knows everybody. And I said, is there a conflict of interest? And she said, no. So we're mediating. And these are some of the things that I'm told in mediation. You're not the only victim. He's a victim too. He's lost a lot. And I'm like, what, what, what did he lose? Because let me tell you what I lost. My sense of feeling safe. Uh, struggling to make it through each day. Because let me tell you, when you go through something like this, it's hard to get out of bed. Mm-hmm. It's hard to feel like you have a reason to keep going when you know that nothing's going to change in the system and who's going to protect you. You can't call the police. The police already have proven they don't care. They're not protecting you. So then I was told if he, I don't sign this settlement agreement, he's going to come after my family. Mm-hmm. That if I know what's good for me, I'll sign it. Or else they're going to go back to the courts and say it's uncooperative. I'll lose my case. He was wanting a trial. He was wanting me to pay this astronomical amount. So I'm facing all these things. Um, and I'm like, what in the world? Um, what do I do? And so under duress, I mean, I'm in tears. Mm-hmm. And the media, uh, media says, you did the right thing. And I signed it. And the next day I said, no, no, no. See, another thing I learned, victim advocates should be provided to victims. They should not be alone with their attorneys in something like mediation. You need to have a victim advocate to say, whoa, wait, we need time to think because you can't think when you're 10 hours straight in a room. The only time I was able to leave that room was to use the restroom. I needed time to think. And I had even asked if we could, if I could take a day or two. And they said, no, this is it. You sign it or else we're going to go back and let them know that you didn't cooperate. I wasn't even given an option to to have my voice heard or to think over things. It was awful. I came in with a notebook this thick, a binder of evidence. The mediator won't even look at it. He said, it doesn't matter what that says. Let me tell you how things are going to go. And I thought, oh, God, this isn't good. So... That's now September where we're in this mediation in October. My attorney completely leaves me and says, you you don't want this to go forth. We're not putting this settlement agreement forth in the courts. I no longer represent you. And she left me hanging. We're in the midst. So let me put it this way. The first appeal is in federal district court. The second appeal is in the fourth circuit. The third appeal, Supreme court. We're in the first appeal in federal district court. And I'm now representing myself per se. I called over a hundred attorneys and they're like, oh my gosh, this has been in how many courts, civil court, bankruptcy court, now federal court. Okay. We have a saying, whatever you do, don't go to federal court because it's messy. And just so you know, anyone who represents themselves pro se in federal court, in court period, you will not lose. The judges don't like that. This is a losing battle for you. I was told not only did I have to know state laws, but each court has their own laws and each judge within that court has their own laws. So I'm having to learn all these laws. I I don't have a degree (laughs) as a lawyer. I'm not a lawyer. I don't know how to do this. And I'm having to try to figure out how to write motions. And you can't even get a lawyer to represent you. And the lawyer that you had 
basically a crook because they know the the um the abuser so um from from what you're from what you're saying and i i can't even imagine going through the rape first of all and then now all this afterwards you know and and how you must be handling this like you said like the mental your mental health and 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 things like that on top of not feeling safe on top of everything else and this is what was interesting is one of the conversations i had with uh the chief of police of um, Cornelius police, I said, I need to know as soon as you go and talk with them uh, because he has pictures all over social media of holding AR 15s and of holding guns. And he said, listen, if you lived a mile away, they didn't tell me for three days. And that wasn't until after I called and said, did you talk to him? And they said, Oh yeah, we talked to him three days ago. So, ah, why did you tell me that? I need to know that in case I need to protect my family. And he said, listen, if you lived a mile away, I'd be concerned. But I'm not concerned. You're not a mile away from each other. And it's not like he's going to harm you. And I said, he already did. See, and this let me know the police weren't taking this seriously for whatever reason. Um, So here we are. We're in court. I, in December of 2022, had to file multiple motions. I mean, there was one time I filed four motions at once. Motions that cost a lot of money to file when you're overnighting them because as per se, I have to do everything via mail. The attorneys get to do everything via uh, e-doc where mm-hmm. it's going through an email thing. So they get an immediate response. If the judge issues an order, I have to wait a whole week for it until it's mailed to me. Everybody knows what's going on before I do. And um, as we're like, fi- as I'm filing all this stuff, I mean, it's multiple filings. I requested for him to pay for my attorney because he's suing me. I requested for um, legal or for to be, have a, a, an attorney a, appointed for me. Denied, denied. In which my attorney was even asked, should he pay for her legal fees? Now, my attorney wants to get paid and I've stopped paying my attorney because she's no longer representing me. And my attorney said no. I don't agree that he should pay for her legal fees. <laughs> now, it's, and this lawyer is a female. Yes. And it's very clear that there's a lot of emails going back and forth because there'd be decisions. The judge said, you're still representing. She's still representing me. And I would find out that the judge issued something at this point, her and his attorneys had already touched base, had already made a decision on things. Not at all bringing me into the decision. And I'm like, what in the world is going on? Right. Like they were in, it seemed very much like they were in cahoots that they were talking a lot more than they should be for someone who's supposed to be representing me. And this isn't just any type of case. A violent crime was committed. Mm-hmm. And I have no one. And then even some of the attorneys I spoke to, there was one attorney in particular that so what's the difference between sex and rape and i said well consent yeah exactly <laughs> he said there is no difference now this is an attorney that works with victims of sexual and domestic violence he also said wait you were wearing knee-high boots yes i was wearing knee-high boots the night i was murdered over my jeans i had a long sleeve turtleneck bodysuit with a faux fur vest on i was completely covered so like 
what happened to no more are we saying what were you wearing this and that no evidently people still really care about that but i was completely covered and he said anytime a woman wears knee-high boots she's asking for it she's basically saying come and get it and this is an attorney that's saying this it really helped me this whole case really helped me understand uh what the thought process is of people who are supposed to be advocating for others but it also helped to really expose all the issues within our system that i wasn't aware of as a victim advocate but i became more aware of as a victim who was need who i was needing to advocate for i was needing to advocate for myself right so come the end of december i'm told no, no attorney, no legal fees. And I just feel crushed. And that's when I made a decision. Suck it up, buttercup. You do not have time to cry. We are in battle up, like get ready. We need to do something. We need to turn the tide. We need to somehow have things work in our favor. So I called the news. As I had a year before, nobody would talk to me. I was told, you're just one person. Who cares what happened to you? You're one person. I'm like, no, no, no. No, it's happening everywhere. Nope, you're one person. I'm like, no. But you can understand why people aren't coming forward if all they're going to be told is you're one person. And you don't matter is what they're saying. You don't matter. when No, you do. I got the news involved. I called the commissioners that are over the Cornelius Police Department. They invited me to a meeting, a town hall meeting. Well, I show up instead as a news crew. And I am showing up late. It had been heavy rain, lots of traffic. I literally walk in. The sign-in sheets are even taken up. I'm standing between the chief of police, who I don't even realize is the chief of police because I'm just so flustered i just made it there i'm hoping i still get to speak and they say well it doesn't look like anyone signed up is anyone going to speak and they're like go 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 to the front i have my coat on i have my purse on and i just drop everything and then the clock starts ticking i have over three minutes to start talking that's it and all of a sudden the media crew just comes to the front i look at them and i'm like all right here's my chance to be heard because as of this point my voice hadn't been heard no one had really heard any of my story yet. And right. with the settlement agreement being made and put in place, it silenced me and it protected him. I wasn't allowed to say the date of what happened. I wasn't allowed to say the police. Now, this is interesting. He's asking that the police department never be named. Why? Why would he care? Almost makes you think that there's something connection with the police department. Exactly. Because it's so, it didn't make any sense to me. Why would he care about the police department? The police department, just naming Cornelius Police Department doesn't give him away. Mm-hmm. He could be anybody. But why did they? And and that's when I thought, maybe this is explaining why they're not doing anything. Because they're not doing their job to protect. They're not collecting evidence or anything like that. And I, I said my stuff. The mayor at the end said, well, sorry for what happened. Um, but as you know, it's an investigation. We can't say anything. And I'm thinking, what, why was I invited here? If you weren't, if I mean, like, I wasn't really, I didn't feel heard. There wasn't any type of exchange of what's going to happen. I'm hoping that they're going to be telling me that things are going to change. I go and sit down and the dozens of, of police officers that are behind me are now being promoted. And this is when 
the chief of police, who wasn't the chief of police at the time, is now promoted to chief of police, who I had an issue with throughout this investigation. He's now promoted right before my eyes. And I'm thinking, this is so unbelievably messed up and in such an injustice. The news reporter asked to speak with him. And so I'm not able to say Cornelius police at this point. So what they did was they had me standing on the steps of the town hall within the background because town hall is right across the street from Cornelius police department is Cornelius police department. I never had to say it. The news reporter said it. My story was the top story on the news at 11 o'clock that night. And it expedited the testing of my sexual assault kits. Within 21 to 24 days, it was tested that month. I went before them January 3rd and was told January 24th that your kit's been tested and it's been sent off to CODIS. And I'm thinking, whoa, is there male DNA? Because that's what I was told. There's male DNA. They're going to bring him in and they're going to get his DNA. And that's what I was promised by the police, by the detective. And I'm thinking, is, is there male DNA? No one's telling me anything. So I'm calling my contact at the DOJ and I'm calling different people and I'm like, what is going on? And I'm being told that doesn't make sense. Unless there's male DNA, they don't send it to CODIS. There has to be male DNA. So me and other people figured this out, that there's male DNA before we ever got anything confirmed. And so then I reached out to the chief of police and I said, what's the status? Is there male DNA? And he said, yes. Male DNA was found and has been confirmed. Guys, this is a miracle upon a miracle. And the reason is, is because he kept having me wash away any evidence of DNA. And just so you know, like what happens with the same kit, when a same nurse is collecting evidence, it's like going into a dark cave. They don't know what they're getting. They don't know if what they grabbed was male or female. There's no guarantee that any DNA was left behind. Um, depending on how long they waited, did someone use the, did she use the restroom before she had the collection, which could cause the DNA to, um, be flushed away. There's so many factors. So the fact that we found DNA and I had so many people praying and some of them were praying, we pray that whatever evilness conceals, God reveals. And it, it was, it was revealed. That's right. Awesome. This incredible. Uh, we're just going to take one commercial break, just one moment here, and we'll come right back. So, ladies and gentlemen, are you tired of being stuck in your career or business? Are you ready to unlock your full potential and accomplish your goals with the compounding growth so that you can live life like as a walk on the beach? Then listen up, because I have some exciting news for you. Today's live cast is sponsored by the Left Foot Coach, an innovative entrepreneurial venture partner that will take your income and self-expression to the next level. With his established five-pillar methodology, the Left Foot Coach can help you build a solid foundation for success and expand your full potential. As a venture growth coach, the Left Foot Coach is dedicated to partnering with you and your established business to help you grow your income and achieve your goals. Whether you're an entrepreneur or professional looking to take your career to the next level, the Left Foot Coach can provide you with the support, gear, uh, guidance, and resources you need to help succeed. If you're ready to unlock your potential and achieve your dreams and schedule your free 30-minute coaching call today, just simply go to the calendly.com backslash X-I-N X-I-A-N left L-E-F-T backslash 30 minutes uh, and get and schedule your 30-minute inquiry call today. Trust me, as a client of the Left Foot Coach uh, who's experienced growth, 
definitely is a it's an opportunity that you will not regret. All right, Whitley. I mean, I, I'm getting chills here just listening to your story, everything that you've been through, everything up to this point. Like you said, God's on your side and God is going to reveal, you know, what it, evil is 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 trying to um, is trying to hide. And I, I can't imagine like going through all of this. And, you know, I and I and this is sometimes hard to swallow, especially going through something like this. But I believe that we all go through things through things for a reason. And like you said, now you know uh, exactly how some of your uh, people that you have helped before with being a domestic advocate, um, not that we'd ever want to go to this depth and this level, um, but you have an understanding to help them even more, right? Yeah. And and this isn't even like all of it. Like, uh, I mean, and I know you're just bound up like, yes, let me add it. So sorry, continue on what you're going to say. So here we are, um, you know, his his male DNA sent off to CODIS, with, which for those of you that don't know, CODIS is the Federal Forensic Index. It's in there for life. It's there, which is great because... If he commits any other crimes and any other victims go to have their um, any DNA collected and hopefully their kit's non-backlog, which mine was. At this point, um, North Carolina had close to 10,000 kits on backlog when mine went into the system. Um, and it's been cleared up quite a bit. Um, but so it puts it there so that if anyone else comes forward, they can say, well, wait a second, we, we have a match. And who is who is this person? So thankfully, the state crime lab is is not run by the police because um, it probably wouldn't have made its way to CODIS. So thankfully, they're completely separate because the state crime lab did their job and they did what they're supposed to do, um, which means we're one step closer to bringing him to justice. So I'm thinking this is great. Now what happens next? And they said, well, depending on what happens, we'll. Um, mean you know like what we do um so what's happened is that they haven't found any matches yet in codis even the chief of police said um it doesn't mean that he hasn't done anything else and i'm like right or that things aren't on the backlog or someone didn't come forward and there wasn't any dna for them to gather depending on when they came forward so there's so many factors again doesn't mean he didn't commit another crime. It doesn't mean I was his last victim. Um, so I'm hoping that they're going to go to the DA's office because we need the DA to take him down. And the state licensing boards that hold his license in the multiple states won't do anything unless the Cornelius Police Department charges him, which they don't seem to be in any hurry to do for whatever reason. I'm not sure why they're protecting him. Everybody wants to know why they're protecting him. And so I was like, trying to figure out what to do. Now, I will say when I got the call that I was going to be going to mediation, I was so wrecked, like absolutely an emotional mess. I read Psalm 30 because it happened to be August 30th. And what Psalm 30 said was, I will move mountains and um, I will remove your soft cloth. There will no longer be grieving. Like I will restore. And I was like, God, I don't know what that means, but I know you're doing something. I don't know what you're doing. <laughs> Time to <laughs> like you're doing much of anything but i'm trusting that you're doing things behind the scenes and in time i'll know what that means so this is january february 
Um, you know, I'm, I'm waiting to find out what, you know, we should be getting a response at some point regarding this first appeal. And I get an email that I wake up to on March 2nd, because February only had 28 days. So 28 plus two would have been the 30th. And it says, congratulations, you just won your case pro se. This is huge. It was a judicial, a historical judicial victory, guys. I was told this is then this was impossible. And the whole time I kept praying, dear God, dear God, I pray Genesis 50, 20, what Satan intended to harm you with. God intended for your good, the saving of many lives. I prayed. I said, God, I'm going to do what I can do. I need you to do what only you can do. Because everybody thinks that the courts here rule and I need the heavenly courts too. Mm -hmm. And I was told I won. And I immediately called my case manager and he said, man, am I happy to talk with you. This is like, I'm waiting to tell you the news. And I said, tell me. And I need confirmation. He said, you won. And in the 15 of 17 pages that the judge issued as the order, she even called my rapist a liar. Now he had 30 days to appeal to the fourth circuit. And I'm thinking, okay, here we go again. I'm getting ready. I'm prepared to go to, to get to bat for myself again. I'm thinking this is how it's going to go. I notify the chief. I mean, I call him right away. I said, Hey, by the way, I won my case. And I said, pro sad. And he said, that's wow. It sounds like you did a good job. I said, yeah, I guess I did. He said, no, it sounds like you did. And I said, you're right, I did. Because I can't tell you what it took to have to, I would be on the floor page after page after page. I mean, I'm submitting things multiple pages at a time. I'm having to overnight them to his attorney, my attorney, the trustee, the judge. Um, and and again, in December, I just did this and literally did four within just a couple weeks time. I mean, it was one next one, a turnaround. It was crazy. Mm -hmm. And let me just tell you this. Every time our attorneys did something, someone made a mistake and it cost us. The judge would then respond, would like read them the right act. And I thought, how am I going to do this? They know the law. I don't. I can't afford to make a mistake. Never once did I make a mistake representing myself. Never once did I get reprimanded for doing something wrong or filing something incorrectly. But that's not me, guys. That's God. That is so God and that is favor. Mm -hmm. So when I won and found out on March 2nd, even though I won February 28th, I said, now I know what Psalm 30 was about. And he had 30 days <laughs> to file his response. And the night before... I just said out loud into the room, I renounce the enemy. He has no power over me. He will not file. This will not go through. And I couldn't wait the next day. I had to go the following day because we had to make sure that 1159, he had until 1159 of his last day to file. I called the case manager and he said, it's done. It's over. He didn't file. He lost, he gave up his rights to the, to file the appeal to the fourth circuit. He gave up his rights to file the appeal to the Supreme court. And I was like, so has somebody gone and questioned him now? Like now, what do you get to do? Yeah. So I will say though, this was in federal district court, which is huge. The case in civil court is still pending, which we 
not sure why that's happening. Um, I've tried to be checking on it again. It's just crazy. That's still kind of pending. It shouldn't be. But now the things with the police and I'm like, okay, how are we gonna bring him to justice? And they're like, oh, well, I don't, you know, we have to wait on this or we have to wait on that. And so I called my person up at the DOJ who works with attorney general's office. And I said, what, what do I do? And they said, call every Senator and house of representative member in that County. So I did. <laughs> and as soon as they heard it, they're like, Oh my gosh, I'm so embarrassed that you're going through this. I'm so sorry that this is what's happening in North Carolina. I'm sorry that people, the police aren't doing what they should be doing. Is he a police officer? Is he, is he friends with them? Why are they protecting him? I didn't even have to say anything. And it's the same thing. Wait a second. Why would he not want the police to be named in the uh, uh, settlement agreement? Which this is why I'm able to say the Cornelius police. I was told it was going to be a burden of proof to prove that I signed this under duress. That that would take a lot. I wouldn't win. Mm -hmm. When I won my case, per se, in federal district court, the settlement agreement was made mute done doesn't exist my voice is unsilenced that was huge so here i am the police are now dragging their feet they're not doing their job so i start calling guys i call everyone <laughs> i'm calling everyone and now i have people on my side and at one point i was playing phone tag with one of the uh senators and it was senator Waddell's office and um I got off the phone. She said, oh my gosh, we're going to, her legislative assistant said, we're going to, we're going to see what we can do. She calls him back. She said, you're not going to believe this. As soon as I got off the phone with you, there was a knock at the door. It was members of the town hall, including the mayor who you spoke before. And so I asked them, Hey, I'm going to ask you about this case. And they said, Oh, we know, we know about her. She said, <laughs> what are you doing? And they said, well, is the senator involved? And she said, yes, the senator's involved. And they said, well, we're going to let the police know to take it to the DA's office, to take it to the next level. Right. And she said, okay, this is good. This is good. So they make an appointment with the DA's office. And at this point, I'm now getting more people involved, more people that are like, this is insane, not crazy. Oh my gosh, your story needs to be heard. We need, we need to help you. I write a bill. I submit it to a House of Representative member. It's now being considered to be introduced to the next session. Awesome. Considered. I know. Amazing. Congratulations. Thank you. And never, and I will say this, never did I think when I left his house on January 6th, in 2020, when I finally was released from captivity and got to escape, did I ever think that three more, like almost three and a half years later, I'd be writing a bill that'd be helping victims and survivors like myself. And so I want people to think that for those of you that are facing insurmountable obstacles, don't focus on the obstacle in front of you. I want you to be thinking about what way it can be redeemed and turned around and used to help other people. Genesis 50, 20, what's saying? 10 harm you with God and 10 for your good. The saving of many lives. And this is going to change lives because when I won this case for Seth, it set him precedent. It was going to set precedent anyways. If he had won, it would be a case that other rapists could use and say, look, he won. I'm going to quote that case to show why I should win against my victim. The fact that I won, victims can use and say, look, Whitley Ethan won. 
So even if other victims get sued, they can say, if she won, I can win. And we're going to use her case to show why this is wrong, why it's not okay for rapists and abusers and perpetrators to sue their victims. It mm -hmm. sets a precedent. And I'm so grateful that what happened to me is not in vain. It's being able to be used. Like, I can't tell you how healing that is for mm -hmm. me to know that something good is coming out of something unbelievably horrific that I almost didn't overcome. I, I mean, I, I, it almost cost me my life. So here we are, the police, you know, finally meet before the DA's office and I get an email from the chief of police. We decided that we're not moving forward. The DA is not going to be bringing the case against him. Okay. Well, I didn't accept that. So I called the DA and guess what? You can't get through unless you have a case. Well, you don't get a case number unless they get your case. Well, I kept pushing. I kept, you know, I was relentless. I wasn't going to give up. I kept persevering. Finally, I got in touch with the ADA. He was in that meeting with the chief of police. And she said, we, we they met with us, but they didn't, we didn't make any decisions. They consulted, but we didn't tell them what to do. In fact, they in that meeting decided we're not giving you this case and we're not pressing charges. So the chief of police lied. And in this, this is his reasoning for why he's not moving forward. One, he said the statute, I waited too long to come forward. Now the police have had this sexual assault kit in their custody since the very day that I was released from captivity. Right. It's been in their custody. North Carolina has no statute of limitations. I was told if I wanted to come forward in 20 years, I could. So now if they're telling me I waited too long by coming for the next, the following year, what are they going to do to all the other victims that can't come forward sooner? Because maybe they're too young and they can't get away from their abuser. Are they going to turn them away too? Even though the state law is there's no statute of limitations. So now they're not following the law. Wow. Two, the attorney for the Cornelius Police Department decided that male DNA that was found on me is not probable cause for them to bring him in, get a DNA sample and test it against what happened to me. They said it didn't show proof that I was sexually assaulted. Wow. Now, there was about 60 pages of documentation submitted from the same nurse. These documentations had body diagrams. There was marks that were circled because I had bruises on my face and my feet and abrasions throughout my body. Multiple accounts, urgent care, emergency room stating sexually assaulted. And they're telling me I wasn't sexually assaulted. They wow. have a video testimony. I said, what about the 17 page testimony, you know, statement, victim statement. The chief of police said, I didn't read it. I'm not going to read it. It's not going to be considered for evidence. Now the police aren't even considering all the evidence. I mean, this is negligent. Mm -hmm. Why aren't they considering that? Then the third thing. The same nurse's notes don't line up with your hour long video testimony. They're not 
exactly the same. And I had brought this up to the director of the same nurse a year ago. And this is another thing that I learned that is something that needs to be dealt with. We have to use proper terminology. Mm-hmm. We can't say sex when it's rape. It minimizes it. We can't say sexual contact uh, when it's rape. When we say sexual contact or sex, it paints a different picture. And I'm being told in North Carolina that the same nurse can't use the word rape. It's illegal. I called up Atrium. This is Atrium Hospital where this took place. I called one of the head people over the same nurses. And she said, it's not our job to take detailed notes. They don't need to be accurate. And I said, oh, oh, whoa, whoa. They should be, especially if you're handing them over as evidence to police in a crime that was committed. And they said, we took care of you. The only thing that matters to us is how we take care of you when you're in our care. And I said, but the whole reason I was in your care was what happened prior to being in your care. So the notes they took weren't in chronological order of things I said. Of, you know, because when we were first, you know, our date started on January 5th, the evening of January 5th, we went to coffee, we went to the movies, we're going to go back to this place and watch, we watched Jumanji, we're going to watch Jumanji 1. So there we are, we're, we're talking about all this. And that's when he held me captive, which led into the morning of January 6th. I will say this during one of the times that he raped me, he got in a company I called and he muted it. He was conducting business while committing a crime. And yet the company did nothing. They protected him. And even in this documentation, even he writes how they assured him that they were going to have his back. So now we have companies called Integrity. Is that showing a lot of integrity when you're protecting a rapist and you're not taking into consideration the safety of your employees, your female employees, or that of your clients? So here we are. The police aren't willing to do anything, and they're saying that's come down to a nurse's notes who wasn't there when I was very accurate and very precise with what I said. We're using wrong terminology, and it cost me the case. And they're basically saying, it doesn't matter if there's male DNA, you don't matter. And when I said, what does this mean? He said, the case is made inactive. I said, what does that mean? We won't consider anything and we won't reopen it until new evidence comes forward. And I said, there isn't any other evidence. You have everything. And he said, until new evidence comes forward. And I said, oh my God, you're saying until somebody else comes forward. And he said, until new evidence, I said, you're waiting for somebody else to be raped. What I learned is the police aren't preventative, they're reactive. They're not about trying to prevent crime, they're about responding to crime. That has to change. We can't be reactive, we need to be preventative or else, yeah, we're gonna still have crime. So now he's free. He's going throughout the US nationwide and he's left. After I won my case, he fled the state. He's living in one of the states that he's licensed in, but he's still traveling and 
the state boards won't do anything. And now the clients don't know that their safety is in jeopardy, nor do they know that a rapist is being let into their homes. And this is why this is so crucial. If his DNA had been taken, it would have been compared and it would have been found to be the exact match. There would be a name to the match in CODIS. There is no name. So even if there is a match, it's just going to look like a John Doe. Oh when my it's gosh. his name. It's an injustice across the board. So what do I do? What are you to do? Mm. Well, I'm not taking a closed door and in a case being made inactive as a no and that it's done. I'm looking at it as a delay. And I'm looking at it as a way to evidently God wants to expose a lot more things going on in our system. Mm-hmm. And things like this, where I have a platform to tell my story and to spread awareness and educate people to work towards prevention because I've learned I can't call the police. And I'm sure a lot of other victims know that too. And so that's what I'm doing to try to make a difference. And guess what? I still keep getting senators. I have now Senator Hunt, Senator Waddell. I have Representative Cunningham. I have so many other people that are involved, Senator Marcus, that are calling the police. And now I can take this and take all these other things that I'm doing and submit it to try to put the pressure to get them to do the bare minimum of their job, which is protecting the community, which they must have forgotten that that's why they are in position. It's not to abuse their position of power. It's to protect and serve. And they're not doing that. I 100% agree that what's that the police station that has been in charge of this has not helped you at all. I will 100% uh, support everything that you said on that. I just want to make clear, though, that we do have a lot of police officers that Kimberly and I and ourselves have joined community with. And I know that it's not every police officer or every town or every uh, precinct is like that. I'm just really sorry that that happened to you. And I pray to God that people that are listening to this, the show or that, you know, what um, the senators that you have in your pocket are, uh, that are helping you, not in your pocket, but are helping you with this now um, realize and, and do something with this precinct, because it's obviously they're not doing their job from everything that you said. And I'm really sorry that you've had, that you've gone through that, not only to be uh, victimized and sexually assaulted and, and held captive, and then now to fight for yourself, win, but still no help. Uh, that is definitely a total lack of integrity within that police department and within uh, everybody that you've been de- battling with in North Carolina or dealing with. Sorry, I'm trying to pick my right words here. And I don't really think that there is right words at the moment. And But I just wanted to be clear because we are um, advocates of, um, of first responders. So I don't want that tainted on everybody. Yeah, I, I, that. That. I, I don't think that every cop is a bad cop. Um, I, uh, my family is cops. I come from family that has served in the military. I guess this right. is Memorial Day, so the American Revolution. Um, you know, I've even had um, family members serve high up in the government. So I know not all is bad. I do know with going and getting my degree in criminal justice that there is such a thing as blue coat of silence which I feel is an abuse of power. And so I think just to even the cops that are doing their job 
well and right. I mean, my best friend, her husband's a cop. Love him. Um, so I, I know that there are good cops, but I think that this is a good reminder to that there are some that aren't. Mm -hmm. And so to those that are, when you see something like this happening, blue coat of silence shouldn't even exist. It's about doing what's best for the community and, and, and protecting the people. And I would hope that anybody in a situation would, that our police would be like, that's not okay. And we're going to make sure that our, what she went through isn't happening in our station so that if there's another Whitley Ethan, they we will treat it differently we'll do it right we'll take it seriously um which is not what has happened um and so i think that yes i'm glad you made that point not all cops are bad and i hate using the terminology bad i, I think it's just a, a an abuse of power that shouldn't be happening that i think i wish i wasn't exposing it i wish it wasn't needing to be exposed i wish I wish what was happening wasn't happening. Mm -hmm. um, Absolutely. And I really wish that there is an officer that is listening in that precinct right now that knows something and that is willing to come forward and, and help Whitney Whitley with this, because I mean, there is still some, there is still somebody out there at large. He is not in North Carolina right now, guys. So this could happen to your wife. This could happen to your daughter. This could happen to your niece. Would you not want them to be protected just like Whitley should be? Like, like seriously, why should somebody who obviously, you know, this from the way Whitley described what had happened to her, that this is somebody who has done this repeatedly uh, and is willing to do it again and obviously can get away with it because he tried to do it again. And, all the way to the senator, she had to go make her case in front of senators when mm -hmm. the police weren't even doing their job. So yeah. we were, we we definitely wanted to have Whitley on here so that we could bring this forward so that other domestic uh, violence, um, what's the word, um, people that have been abused, uh, right, uh, victims, um, can number one, come forward, number two, get the help that they need. And definitely, is there a hotline or something that you recommend Whitley? Or is this like? Yeah, I will say this. Um, I've called so many hotlines to help and they haven't. And so there's nothing that I found to be good. I, I will say a call to action to every police department is um, only 2% of rapists go to jail. Why is that? So this is something going across the board. We all need to do better with it. I really, truly believe that all police stations, any police officer or agent who is dealing with victims of sexual assault should be trauma informed. And if not, they should have a victim advocate there to better help. Because I mean, when I said to the detective, Okay, so you're gonna bring him in when there's if there's male DNA, and he said yes because I need to ask him if he had sex with you. And I said it wasn't sex; it was rape. And he said whatever. I said no, not whatever. And so I think across the board, use the right terminology, take it seriously. Um, each victim, they matter and treat it as such. We don't need there to be more victims to be like, okay, now we need to bring him in. Mm -hmm. One victim is too many. 
it's too many. And so we, we need to do this change because since I came, since this happened to me, over 1.5 million victims of sexual assault, there's been over 1.5 million victims of sexual assault since this happened to me. Wow. Now, guys, this is how we get repeat offenders because it's sending a message to the rapist that no matter what they do, they're not going to be held accountable because in a lot of ways, the police aren't. Why is that? I mean, like if I had been robbed on the street, the police would be on it. They would have arrested them. They would have brought them in. I wouldn't have had to have all this proof. And I could have done a lineup, said it's that guy, and they would have hauled him off, booked him. He would have been charged. Only when it seems like it's sexual assault do you have to provide all this proof that what happened to you happens. And all the guy has to say is, I didn't do it. And the police, for the most part, believe him. Let's change that. Mm-hmm. It shouldn't be Let's 98% get away with it. It's 98% are thrown into jail and it's two percent that are getting away with it let's change it i want it to end with me and it should end with me it shouldn't be happening to anybody else to the police help me help me let's work together not just cornelius police not just the police in north carolina not just the da's office in north carolina i'm talking across the 50 states and everywhere else let's work to end this because you have a powerful role and we can't bring them to justice. We need your help. Please step up and do what's right. Please help us bring them to justice. I don't want somebody else to go through what I've gone through. And guess what? I'm your daughter. I'm your sister. I'm your mom. I am represent every woman you know. And you can't say you don't know someone who's been sexually assaulted because now you know me. Really, we just thank you so much for sharing your story. Uh, what a powerful story. I'm just going to bring Kimberly up here. I know she's been in the back. Um, we're, we're past her time, but I really wanted to bring Kimberly on here because she's been in the back, like cheerleading you on. And of course, it wouldn't be an Unstoppable Overcomer show without the amazing Kimberly. Um, but really, is is there, um, how can people reach you to to help you? What's the best way that you want people to, number one, reach out to help you? Yeah, so I would go to Linktree. Um, doc, I think it's Linktree, and then it's the slash Live Each Day with Purpose. So it's wherever the Linktree is, Live Each Day with Purpose. That's the best way to reach me. And then I think most important, in order to spread awareness and to actually get people to move things, and this is what helped happened with the news, uh, the news story in January. Share this. Go on and share anything that I'm doing. Sharing it is so unbelievably important. Um, yeah, so Linktree, live each day with purpose. Um, so go and share this as much as you can because sharing this helps to spread awareness and it will cause people to like a reaction to where the police will be like, they won't be able to discount it or dismiss it. It will cause them to a call to action to respond and to respond in the right way because I know if it was their daughter, their sister, their mother, they would do any and everything to get justice for them, to make sure that they were protected. I mean, that's why they first became police officers and responders anyways, was to serve and protect. And we need them to be able to do that. Absolutely, absolutely. 
Thank you so much for sharing your story, Whitley. Uh, we just appreciate you so much. Uh, Kimberly, is there anything that you want to jump in with? You're on mute, hon. <laughs> I've been, I've been uh, back there for so, so long, I forgot I was still on mute. Um, no, it's, uh, it's, it's, such a, it's such a poignant um, movement that you're inside of, Whitley. And um, clearly, you're, you're inside of God's, um, God's calling. Um, and, uh, and um, you know, having been someone that's come from a lot of sexual abuse, among other things, um, I can totally appreciate, you know, um, what you're out to accomplish. And obviously you have our full 100% support. Um, the, um, I, um, I, I'm excited to see where this goes because, uh, we've said this over and over and over again, that this isn't our show. You know, we're, we're, uh, we're, uh, stewards of this show. Um, it's a Holy Spirit show. Um, so, um, and, and we have worked so hard, um, uh, tires, tirelessly in, um, building community with police and, uh, the military, especially for the last year. Um, and we know how big their hearts are. We know how hard they serve. Um, and so I'm, I'm super excited for the audience, um, that's going to have access to the show and, really the, the, the legal precedence you've created, um, that would actually, you know, um, give them power. Right. Um, because especially the communities we work with, you know, they put their lives on the line every day, especially when it comes to domestic violence. Um, that's, that's where a lot of them are in the most jeopardy, um, in dealing with those kind of things. And so I'm, I'm super excited for the union, um, of you and them and, and the difference that y'all, you're all on the same page, right? Like the, the, I would say the 98%, you know, that are out there are in full support, you know, struggling every day with, you know, um, not having precedence like your case and just super exhilarated by the fact that, you know, God used your, your mission, your calling and your case to, to really turn the tide. So thank you for who you are. Uh, thank you for the bridge that you're creating um, so that nobody is um, in, in those kind of positions in the future. It's just, it's just, uh, you're a magical creature and it is our pleasure and our honor to, to provide a platform for, for your voice and your mission. Thank you so much for having me on. And I just want to say thank you to God because I couldn't be here without my faith in God and you know, to all of those that have served, thank you so much for your sacrifice and bravery. This is Memorial Day. My family served since right. Yeah. We've had yeah. family members that have died. And um, I mean, I very much admire those that have served, not just in the military, but also those that risk their lives every day with the police and yeah. agencies. I just, I think, I just hope and pray that we can all work together better moving forward to better protect victims and survivors like me. Amen. Amen. From your lips to God's ears, which it's, it, he's, he's already got us all on mission together. Here we are on mission yeah. together. Um, and, and one last thing, D just to make sure everybody in the audience, um, cause I know there's a lot of us that have dealt with things, um, all of these things. Right. Um, so, 
uh, and and we've gutted through it, like right, like we've 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 come through the other side, you know. Um, and I dare say, in a lot of situations, pretending like we're okay when we're not okay. So I invite anyone and everyone that's uh, dealt with any kind of sexual, you know, um, or human trafficking conversations in any way, shape, or form, right? To absolutely reach out to Whitley and her her community and and get healed through. Um, that mission. Um, it, there's something so powerful about being a contribution um, that could heal things that you don't even know that need to be healed. So um, step up and step in or step off. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I love all that. Thank you so much uh, to everybody that has joined us tonight. I just want to give one last shout out to our last sponsor of tonight's show. Uh, author Jen Zahari with her book created no way out. Uh, definitely a book all about mental health that you want to get your hands on this month. Um, it is truly a story that will leave you captivated and uh, wanting more. So with that, I just want to thank everybody for joining us tonight. And thank you so much, Whitley, for sharing your story, being brave enough to go after everything. Um, and I knew I know that justice will be served. We don't know on our timeline when that's going to be, but I truly believe that uh, justice will be served. So thank you so much for sharing your story. And if you are a lawyer that would like to help Whitley out as well, we she's <laughs> definitely looking for an amazing lawyer that could help out. <laughs> Absolutely. Yes. Paralegal, so. all of the above. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you guys so much. Don't forget to be unstoppable and all you do, same thing, same channel next week. Uh, don't forget to check out our Roku channel, which is Unstoppable Overcomers. And if uh, you like podcasts, then go over to our podcast. Subscribe to to whatever it is that you want to, wherever it is that you listen in from and leave us a review if you can, that would greatly help us out. So thank you so much for joining us and bye for now. <laughs>